good to see you. I recognize so many of you, and I hope to at least say hi to half or more of you in the lobby. It's always overwhelming when I visit and I feel like, oh, I didn't get to hug that person or see them. It's good to be in my home church. I thought it'd be nice to start with that video because I realize there are people that don't know me and they don't know Dare to Share Ministries. Or if they do know me and they know Dare to Share, they don't understand the, uh, the entirety of what Dare to Share is and what they do. And so I'm excited that to be the director of global ministry to help resource the church around the world to mobilize youth to go and reach their friends. And Dare to Share's website, just this year alone, we've had 160 nations access our website, not counting U.S. and Canada. Guess what the number one user is? Pakistan. Pakistan. In fact, for the last week or two, I've been working with a Pakistani leader, a high-level leader of a significant denomination who wants training and resourcing for their churches throughout Pakistan. Um, I'm getting calls and emails and instant messages. I got one on the way to church this morning from a national-level youth leader of two, 3,000 churches in Philippines. She's going to pray for me. I'm going and I'm doing training and equipping and teaching. She's using some of our Dare to Share resources to help youth share their faith. And those conversations happen all the time. And so I'm excited to be on their team at Dare to Share here at Calvary Church of Lamont for, for years. We brought our students to the Dare to Share conferences, the weekend evangelism training conferences. I use those curriculums here in the youth ministry. I have used those curriculums and resources abroad as I've taught um, in unregistered underground Bible schools and in seminaries and Bible institutes. And so I know the ministry, and so I'm excited to be a part of it. It's just that they're, they're, they're just now growing globally. That is, they're just now giving focus to this global initiative. And every week I'm, I'm receiving emails and correspondence and requests. Hey, we need resources. We want to mobilize youth. Uh, we need to tap into the passion of young people to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ around the world. So I'm excited. And one way we're doing that is through this Lead the Cause summer camp. It just occurred this week in Chicago. We had uh, 500 youth and youth pastors from across the U.S. Uh, I came to town to host a couple international uh, leaders, one from Ukraine and one from India. These are high-level leaders that are, have national-based ministries, and so as they partner with us and use our resources, or even just adapt that philosophy of having a gospel-advancing ministry, their nations will be better equipped. Their churches will be better equipped. In fact, just this week at that training event with 500 young people, they had nearly 1,500 gospel conversations, okay? Uh, 26 people accepted faith in Christ through those conversations. And then the youth have committed as they go home into their communities, their schools, that they would have 4,500 conversations about Christ. So that's a one to nine ratio. Every youth saying, I'm going to talk with nine of my friends or family members um, about Jesus Christ. That's significant. And so I'm glad to be a part of that ministry. Those of you that know me know this is a direct answer to the vision the Lord gave me five years ago uh, when I was in the Philippines training and teaching youth leaders from about 20 nations. The Lord placed a vision or a picture on my heart and mind of how he would use me to, to encourage, equip, and empower the global church to reach and disciple youth. I didn't know what that looked like. An opportunity came about to go to Indonesia, and so we, we left this wonderful church fellowship and moved to Indonesia. 
Many of you that know our story know that it was a difficult time. Uh, in fact, it was a dark, dark valley in our life. I had amoebic dysentery for seven months. Um, I had headaches and migraines. Uh, they started the first week I arrived in Jakarta, the capital city, um, and they just got worse and worse. I would have cluster headaches, tension headaches, um, ocular migraines. I would black out. At that point, I was 85% through my doctoral studies, and, and just sitting and reading, I would, I would pass out. I'd black out. I couldn't read but 10 pages a week, and uh, that's no way to, to earn a doctorate. So um, at the same time, on the home front here, my mom almost died. She's got lung disease. They gave her a month to live. Uh, so she was in the ICU, and I flew back to see her. Uh, my dad almost died, was in the hospital for six weeks. Many of you know that I'm a twin. Uh, my twin is the original version. I'm the slim 2.0 version. And, um, but David was diagnosed with cancer on our birthday. Um, and my sister was in a head-on auto collision. We struggled to sell our house. Am I painting a good picture for you? Do you understand? What? Okay, I think many of you that know me, you've followed these things on social media or I've cried on your shoulder. But um, that, that was my lot in life uh, for that season. It was a dark, dark valley. And um, God has since brought me out of that. Um, we spent the last year and a half, two years, helping a church in Skokie go through a transition and bring in a new pastor. Uh, I finished my doctoral studies. Um, I regained my health. In fact, today marks three years that I've been back on U.S. soil. Three years today is the anniversary. I have not had a single migraine in that time. <laughs> Praise God. And um, uh, my mom is alive and well. My dad is alive and well. David is now three years cancer-free. Uh, he continues to labor away in the Avondale neighborhood of Chicago as he's planting a new church there. Uh, and God continues to redeem all those things. And then finally, he answered that prayer and let that vision come true, which is that he is now using me in a global capacity to resource the church. So every day I'm like, okay, Lord, thank you. Thank you. I, don't, I didn't want to go through that valley. I didn't want to go through that dark time. I didn't want to go through the difficult season. Uh, but it's made me who I am, and it's placed me where I'm at today. I want to share a message with you today that's very dear to my heart. Because at some of the deepest, darkest moments of physical, financial, and relational crisis, Psalms chapter 46 was one of the greatest medicines the Lord gave my soul. I would read it daily. I would pray often, verses 1 and 10. I would pray them multiple times every day. There were times when I was in Indonesia and I just could not function. By the way, I saw doctors in three countries. Uh, I went from one diagnosis treatment to the next. It was just agonizing pain I've never experienced before. There are some days where I just thought, um, I just can't go on. I just cannot go on. And I would read and pray and ponder upon Psalms 46. If you know anything about the Psalms, they're, they're songs, they're poems. And they're very descriptive of God. And, and whoever wrote the Psalm, it's descriptive of them and what they're going through. So it's very personable, very relatable. In fact, Psalm 46 is unique in that there's almost a dialogue that happens uh, where, where the psalmist, the writer, is, is talking about who God is, and then he's reminded of uh, who God is. God is saying, hey, this is who I am. So it's almost a dialogue going on. So I want to share with you because from that mountaintop experience where the Lord said, Mark, I'm going to use you and all your tools, all your resources, all your experiences to reach and equip young people for the kingdom of God, to where I'm at now, uh, that deep, dark valley, 
uh, Psalm 46 ministered through me. Now, you, you may be at a point today where you're saying, you know, I'm not going through that. That's okay. I want you to put this in your pocket, tuck it in your soul, and save it for a time when you're going through a difficult season. Or better yet, use the message today to help someone else who's going through a deep, dark season of their life. Let Christ, let the Holy Spirit illuminate you so that you can be a light to them in their path. Amen? So regardless of where you're at in your season of life, I think this message will really minister to you. Before I start with my message, I would just ask personally that you would pray for me. Pray for my work at Dare to Share. It's a brand new global initiative. Every day, every day I'm learning things. There are new challenges from understanding intellectual property issues, branding, brand identity issues, distribution of resources, uh, legal issues, mentoring and resourcing pastors, getting curriculum in various languages around the world, developing apps so that they can have it in Russia or they can have it in India. And, and it's, it's a bit overwhelming. And then on top of that, I'm casting vision. I'm looking for significant kingdom-minded men and women that want to invest and resource and maybe help pay for those curriculums or apps or tools. Or uh, So I need a lot of wisdom, favor, discernment, and unity. Those are the four things I pray for. Wisdom, because I need it. I need favor. I need the Lord to open doors and burden people's heart to advance the kingdom in whatever way. Uh, I need discernment. I need to know what to do and what not to do. Um, there's a lot writing on this, and I want to build the kingdom of God. And then finally, unity in my family with Kim and Jonathan, and then unity in the Dare to Share team. Because the enemy, you know, he's tricky. He wants to come in and do some damage. But let's go to our topic today in our, in, in our brief time together. I really believe that you're going to be encouraged, you're going to be equipped, and you'll be inspired. Psalms chapter 46 um, I'll read it, pray, and then share some observations about God, and then some responses to that, okay? Let's look at our text. It'll be on the screen. Um, I'll read just one or two verses at a time, and I'm reading from the New International Version. I suspect if you have a different translation um, on your device or your hard copy Bible, it may have some uh, really wonderful verbiage here that would really draw out the essence, but I'm going to read New International Version. Here it is, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shield with fire. Verse 10. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Two key verses that I'll zoom in on. 
verse 1 and sing. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Verse 10, be still and know that I am God. Join me in praying as we just kind of get our heads and our hearts open and ready to hear from the Lord. Heavenly Father, I just ask that as we look at some key aspects of your character, some, some descriptive terms of who you are and responses to that, that our hearts and our minds would be open, that is, that we would hear you, that your spirit would um, uh, reveal to us exactly who you are and how you can work in the midst of our life, how you can comfort and heal and direct and guide and rebuke and encourage and strengthen. So, Lord, help us receive from you today. Lord, may we apply it to our own lives. And, Lord, may we use it to help others grow closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The first thing I want you to notice here from the text that we're told about God, our Heavenly Father, is that God is our refuge. God is our refuge. In fact, the word refuge and fortress is used in this text. Refuge and fortress. Under the old covenant, the old relationship with God, and in the Hebrew days, the days of the Hebrew people, there were known, there was what was known as a city of refuge. And so if you committed murder, you could flee to that city. There were six of these cities, and in that city, you would be protected from restitution or redemption. That is, the family member could not kill you if you were in that city. Okay, you were safe. Now, you were still judged, you, you were tried, and there was punishment, but you could not have your life taken because of the murder you committed, whether it was on purpose or not. These cities of refuge were set up to bring about true justice and then redemption. And I want to tell you today that's exactly what Jesus Christ does for us. He is our city of refuge. All of us have been created and made to have a relationship with God. But our sins separate us from God and from one another. They do. That's just the way it is. Whether it's lying or it's, it's envious activity or it's lusting or it's a foul word that comes out of our mouth. They separate us from God and they separate us from one another. And here's the issue. Even as I studied world religions and theologies and concepts and ideologies, None of that sin can be removed or erased or hidden by good deeds. None of it can. Some uh, belief systems say, well, let me ignore it. Others say, well, let me strive and labor and sacrifice and pay and go to temples and mosques and churches and let me do all these holy things and good things. If I do enough of that, then, it's, then I'm okay. The reality of it is that there is a judgment upon each and every one of us because of our sinfulness, because of that nature in us, and because of our actions. So we need a city of refuge. We need a God who is our refuge. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He came and he paid the price for our sins. He literally became our fortress, our refuge, and the judgment, the justice due upon us came upon him so that we can have new life, everlasting life. Life that keeps us from the hell we're going to and life that helps us in the hell that we're going through. It's a life that, that really starts now and it lasts forever. That is the God we serve, a God of refuge, amen? And we simply must receive. 
We just receive that gift. We receive that sheltering. We receive that forgiveness. But even as we go through life, we know that storms are going to come. We know that difficult times are going to come. Disappointment, discouragement, things aren't going to go the way we thought they were going to go. And life really comes at you. The other year, Kim and I, um, uh, we were alerted that a tornado was coming through the area. And um, so we uh, grabbed Jonathan and we went into the bathroom and we got some sleeping bags and some flashlights and this little camping lantern, uh, battery-operated camping lantern and some snacks. And we just got in this little tiny bathroom, you know, three of us right there in the bathroom. Jonathan thought it was the coolest thing. Hey, we're camping in the bathroom. I'm hugging the toilet. He's like, yeah, we're camping in the bathroom. You know, my back's hurting, you know. And hey, we're camping in the bathroom, you know. It's dark in the house and we're thinking... I, I think this is where they say you're supposed to go. If you don't have a basement, if you don't have a cellar, you, you go in the inner part of the house and you go where there's a solid structure. At least that's what I thought. And so that's where we went. It's dark out. We're, 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 we're listening to the updates and, and watching our phones to see what's going on with the weather report. And I start thinking about the house and the structure and specifically the bathroom walls. And I start thinking about, will they hold? You know, will they hold? I mean, if that tornado comes through and that wind starts tearing up the house. Is this bathroom going to be safe? And then my mind started playing tricks and I started becoming concerned about all kinds of things. And, and my question was, well, are, are those PVC pipes in the walls or are those metal pipes in the walls? Because that, that makes a big difference, you know, um, with, when it comes to structure. And wait a second, how do they build the walls of this house? And how old is this house? I started thinking about all these things. And is this a safe place? Friends, I want to tell you today that God is your refuge and you do not have to doubt that he is strong enough and able to handle any storms that come against you. You do not have to sit there and say, God, can you handle this? He can. He can and he will. Secondly, the text tells us that God is our strength. God is our strength. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. You see, God is our strength. And when we acknowledge that, and we acknowledge our weakness, there's something that happens there. He reveals himself, and he reveals his strength, and that he can see us through anything. Uh, the other, just a couple years ago when I graduated uh, and uh, finished my doctoral program, we celebrated by going to Disney World, and um, Jonathan was, I don't know, four or five at that time, and uh, we were on one of these rides that was a bit scary, you know, it was going up and down, it was going fast, and Jonathan and I were seated next to each other, and just, just instinctively, I put my arm out to hold him in, to shield him, you know? I mean, it was a kiddie ride, you know, but got to make sure he's okay. And then I had this flashback, when I was like 10 or 11 or 12, uh, my family went to an amusement park, and all three of us boys were tall enough to go on this really awesome ride. It had a cool name, like the Vortex or the Dragon, or maybe it was the Dragon Vortex, I don't know. But it, it had corkscrews, and it you know, went upside down. And so David and I, the twins, sat together, and my little brother Peter and my dad sat together. And it was one of those rides where the, the restraint came down over the shoulder and formed kind of like a U or horseshoe. And you hold it like this. And, and so the ride's going and we're screaming and having a blast. And I'm looking above me and I see my dad and my younger brother Peter, who at that time was a runt. 
and Peter started slipping through the restraint. Like literally, his torso was slipping through the restraint. And then I saw my father holding on to his restraint and then holding my brother in as we're going at massive speeds and upside down. My father was pale white. My brother Peter's having a blast. Yeah, my dad's holding him the whole time, you know. And I'm watching this just unfold, you know. The ride gets over. We're all walking to catch up with my mom. And, and Peter's just, yeah, let's do it again, you know. My dad is like just barely moving. He's pale white, you know. Uh, uh, he's like literally panting. Uh, my mom's crying. She always cries on those kind of rides. And then we're all like, let's do it again. Both my story with Jonathan on the kitty ride and the story where my father actually held Peter in reveal the same truth. Whether you know it or not, God holds you in. God is strong enough, no matter, no matter how great the challenge you're going through, whether it may seem insignificant to some, or to you it seems like you're about to fall out and life will soon be over. God, through his Holy Spirit, can give you the strength, not just to hang in there, but to go beyond that. And experience a depth of life, a depth of relationship you've never had before. God is our refuge. God is our strength. And then thirdly, God is an ever-present help. God is an ever-present help. Hebrews 13, 5 says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. What a great promise. What a great promise that God doesn't turn his, his back on us. He's not off the clock. He's not on vacation. He's there. He's working. In fact, we know that because the moment we accept what Jesus did on the cross and we acknowledge that he is our Lord and Savior, the head of our life, and that he, he has rescued us from our sin and refuged us, we're gifted with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And the Holy Spirit empowers us for life and reminds us that we're not alone. The psalmist the psalmist picked up on this in, in the 23rd chapter, perhaps the most famous psalm, that even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you shall fear no evil, for God is with us, for thou art with me. God is with us. I don't think we, we, we feel that. I don't think we always know that. Uh, an illustration that, that helped me understand this was uh, night vision goggles. I don't know, has anyone ever used night vision or NVG goggles or glasses? I remember when they first came out, uh, at, that at that point, they originally were introduced to the special forces in the military. And then shortly thereafter, they were rolled out uh, to the rank and file troops. I was a truck driver in the Army, so we had to learn how to drive at night with night vision goggles, calling ammunitions and troops. And it's pretty scary. Uh, for one, depth perception is off. And so when you're hauling, uh, you know, 10, 20, 30 tons, um, you got to be real careful. You don't run anyone over or smash into the guy in front of you. But I remember when I first used them, um, fellas would be out taking a smoke break, and they'd be about 30, 40, 50 feet away. And when they'd flick their cigarette and the ash would go flying, it looked like a tracer round or a missile. That's how bright it was. You watch these movies where SEAL Team 6 or Delta Force or someone, they've got the night vision goggles on and they go into a building and they're doing close quarter combat and, and they can see and the enemy can't see. The very nature of a night vision goggle, and I don't understand all the science, but it works on the premise that, that 
even though the naked eye cannot see them, in the dark of a pl- darkest of places, there are particles of light. There are particles of light. And those goggles or glasses magnify the existing light. And they therefore illuminate the room. And I think it's a beautiful picture of God. You see, even though you may be going through a dark, painful season in your life, and you may have even said, God, where are you? Even though you cannot see him, you cannot sense or feel him at that moment, he is still there. He is always present. The Holy Spirit begins to make us aware of that. As we read the Bible, as we pray, as we listen to him, as we fellowship and spend time with one another and encourage one another, as we go out and serve our community, as we care for our neighbors, as we are like Jesus in our world, God is magnified. He is seen, and we can survive any darkness. Friends, I want to encourage you today that God is, God is your refuge. He is your strength, and he is ever-present. I want to give you three responses to these truths, three responses. The psalmist is reminded to be still, to be still. The word here in the original text literally means stop wrestling. Stop wrestling, stop fighting against God. But it also means quite literally, calm yourself, be still. Take a moment just to be honest with God. Have you ever woken in the middle of the night and you're trying to get somewhere in the house and it's pitch black and you can't see anything, you, can't, you don't have any orientation and you just take a moment, you calm yourself, your eyes adjust and then you realize where you're at and you can work your way? A friend of mine when I was living in China said this, He said, a whisper is like a shout in the dark. A whisper is like a shout in the dark. So maybe you're in that dark room and you hear a noise and you're drawn to it. It's so much louder and vivid. And God is like that. So often when we go through difficult times, we're we're consumed with that. and We can't focus on God. We We can't sense and we can't feel him. We wonder where he's at. But if we take a moment just to calm ourselves, we can hear him. We can sense him. We can know him. Peter said it this way in 1 Peter 5, verses 6 through 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. God, I can't do this. I need you to. Secondly, besides being still in a literal sense and in a spiritual sense, is that we can know God. We can know God. It says, be still and know that I am God. Here in the original text, to know God means to be intimate with God. The word used is the same word used for sexual relations between a husband and wife. It means to be intimate, to be vulnerable, to be exposed. You can't be a poser. You can't be a pretender with God. You can't put on a religious mask with God. God knows who you are, but he invites us to be honest with him, to be transparent with him. So maybe it's in the morning when you're waking up. Maybe it's when you're laying your head on the pillow. Maybe it's in the shower, in the car commute, or in your cubicle, or in the midst of an argument. And you think or you say, God, I need you right now. I cannot handle this. This is how I feel. This is what I'm going through. Lord, be present. Be real in my life. I need to know you. Listen, I I struggle with worry. I struggle. I do. 
I can easily let my worries and anxieties overcome me. But you know you can't have intimacy with God if you're having an affair with your worry. Think about that. You can't have intimacy with God if you're having an affair with your worry. God wants all of you. He doesn't want you being consumed with the cares of this life. He wants you to seek first his kingdom and his right way of living. And he promises it'll take care of the rest. Take a moment this week just to be honest and vulnerable with God. Tell him how you feel. You don't have to package it in a pretty way. Just be real and raw with God. He invites you to do that. And then finally, it says, be still and know that I am God. Or be still and know that he is God. Check this out. Know that he is God. This is the moment in my message where you get to turn to the person next to you and say, see, I told you, you weren't. Sometimes, okay, if it's your spouse, you know what I'm talking about, right? Hey, get this, you're not God. They're not God. We don't have to figure it out. We don't have to know it all. He's God. That is liberating. There's freedom in that. I don't have to get through this mess that I'm going through. I don't have to know all the answers. I don't have to know tomorrow. I don't. God knows tomorrow. God will get me through this. God will be my strength and my refuge. And he's already present. Through the working of his Holy Spirit, he's present. When we take a moment to literally and spiritually be still before him. To read scripture. Pray and to listen. We can align our hearts and be more intimate and honest with him. And then we realize, hey, wait a second. He's God. I can trust him. I can trust him to do what he does best. I love here that the psalmist says, God says, God says, be still and know that I am God. And then it says, I'll be exalted among the nations, exalted among the earth. See, I believe that if we, those of you who have accepted faith in Jesus Christ, who realize you could not earn your salvation, could not earn good standing with God, but yet you've accepted this gift of grace, I believe those of us that call ourselves Christians, if we took times to be still and to be honest and vulnerable with God and know Him, then we would illuminate and shine bright for Christ. And he would be glorified among the nations and in the universe. I'll conclude with this brief illustration. A couple years ago, I was in Beijing, China, at a very well-known church, probably the most significant church in the capital city there. Um, it's a very well-known place and frequented by uh, government and religious officials from around the world. I was there um, unexpectedly. I was flying in and I uh, was there to teach a class at a seminary, at a graduate level program, teaching on youth ministry. And my, the co-professor in the class was actually in an auto accident. Um, he was okay, but he was banged up. He was scheduled that evening to go to this church and to uh, do a teaching co coaching session with some youth and, and, and children's pastors. And he said, he, he called me and said, Mark, I can't go. Man, I'm, I'm banged up, I'm bruised, I just got in this accident. Can you go for me? And I thought, okay, yeah. I mean, it's a very notable church. In fact, um, about eight, nine years earlier, I was at that church, and I whispered a prayer to God. God, I want to go to this church someday, and I want to preach and teach. So I thought, when he asked me if I could go, I said, I'm going for it. But I had no lesson, I had nothing prepared, 
And the Lord brought my heart to Psalm 46, and I began sharing with him. And I, can't, I don't know why, other than the Holy Spirit leading me, but they had given me a bottle of water and a, and a cup. And as I taught this message about being still and knowing God, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help, I, I used this illustration with them. I, I said, this cup represents your life, and this pen represents what life does to you. And then I started poking holes in it, you know, jamming holes in the cup. But I only poked three or four. And then I said, this water represents the, the water of life, the salvation and the refreshing that God can give. So I took, I took, I had to make sure I had the holes plugged up right. And I took the water and I poured it in. I said, God, he wants to pour into you. And he wants to heal you and refresh you. The illustration was working. And then I drank it. This one has a piece of styrofoam in it. And I said, God can do that to you, no matter the wounds you have. No matter what you're going through, he can be your strength. He can be your refuge. He's present. And then across the table from me, I heard words that you probably uttered yourself. But you, you don't understand. But you don't understand. And he began talking about wanting to quit his pastorate, feeling like he was failing. Life was imploding on him. He began crying, which in that culture was not something that he should have done publicly. And I sat and I listened to him. And then I, I took that cup and I began stabbing holes in it, more than five. And it became very evident that I could not plug these holes. And some of you may feel like that today. You don't understand, Mark. Man, I'm getting hit from every angle. I, I mean, I feel like life's coming at me, and I feel like there's so much disappointment, and where is God? And I tell you, the people in that room thought that too. And I simply said to them what I'll say to you this morning. Is the hand of God too small? Is the hand of God too small? God is our refuge. He is our strength, and he's ever-present no matter what we're going through. And he wants us to, to calm ourselves, to let go of that anxiety and to be honest with him, and to know that he's God and we're not. And as we do that, we do have a greater witness. Because people will say, where does that peace come from? Where does that hope come from? How are you holding it together despite all these holes? I pray this morning you're encouraged and that maybe if you're going through something that the Lord will minister to you. And I also pray that regardless of where you're at, you'll tuck this one away and the Lord will bring it to mind later for yourself and for others. Please continue to pray for Kim, Jonathan, and I because we believe there are youth ministers around the world that need to be strengthened and resourced and encouraged and refreshed. We believe God has positioned us to do this we know that you're standing behind us in prayer and support. We're blessed by your friendship and love you dearly. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to look at this beautiful psalm, this poem, uh, this very honest and transparent writing. Help us, Lord, today, this week, Lord. Help us. Reveal to us how we can apply this passage to our lives. Maybe this very afternoon we need to take time just to be alone with you, 
just to walk and listen. Maybe this week we need to carve out some extra time as we read scripture each morning or night or afternoon. Maybe we need to write down a list of things that we're struggling with, things that have become idols that have become, in a sense, uh, um, obstacles to you. They're worries and cares and anxieties that we've held on to, and we need to just ask that you would remove them. God, show us this week how you're present in our life, even when we don't see you, sense you, feel you, even when the holes, the hurts, appear to be bigger and louder than you. Help us to calm ourselves and hear you. I pray, Lord, that we're encouraged to go and share this truth with others and help them know that you are their refuge, their strength, and that you are present. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.